Elkhart County is a place where quality craftsmanship, innovation, and collaboration result in a well-crafted life. With an appreciation for all things handmade and homegrown, we leave our mark on everything we hold. Elkhart County is well-crafted. Welcome to the people and places along the Heritage Trail in Elkhart County, Indiana podcast. Hey, and welcome to the first episode of the Quilt Gardens mini-series podcast, where Sonia takes us on a deep dive into the 2022 Quilt Garden locations and chats with the many volunteers that help make this project special. On this episode, we get the inside scoop about the Quilt Gardens at the Elkhart County 4-H Fairgrounds, the Elkhart Environmental Center, and the Elkhart County Historical Museum. Welcome, Lynn. Thank you. Len, the appointed chair of the quilt garden at the Elkhart County 4-H Fairgrounds, which is part of the Michiana Master Gardeners Association. Thanks so much for joining us. You know, the uh, quilt garden at the fairgrounds is always so beautiful and your organization works so hard at it. But share with us, I know you are a true gardener by passion. How did you ever get started with that dream or that vision of digging in the soil? Well, I grew up on the farm and uh, I did a lot of farm work. We had a garden, the family had a garden, and I often, often helped with that. But this was in Oklahoma, and it was nothing like growing things in Indiana. Sure, our Indiana soil and weather, huh? (laughs) Yeah, and it's, yeah, the gardens are usually done by about the end of May in Oklahoma because it gets so hot. So, but I did a lot of picking of green beans and helping my mom can them and that kind of thing. Oh, wow. Well, so I know at your house, you grow a lot of uh, flowers and plants and you have a strong passion for it. So when you came to Indiana, then you've discovered a whole longer season here. (laughs) Yes. And the whole, yeah, everything grew differently here. It was a lot easier, it seemed. So then I didn't do a lot. Well, I all along, we gardened some and we did some uh, vegetables and things. But um, the thing that really got me going on gardening was when I took a job as a groundskeeper after I retired from teaching and um, just discovered that I really, really enjoyed it. Mm -hmm. Um, I've always loved getting my hands in the dirt in the spring, Mm -hmm. but uh, working at the the school where I worked uh, gave me a lot of exposure. They had done a lot of uh, planting the year before, well, two years before I took the job. So there were lots and lots of new plants that I didn't really know very well. And uh, I just had a lot of fun getting to know them and learning how to take care of them. And, um, and then that led to the Master Gardener class. Well, so yes, the Michiana Master Gardeners Association organizes an annual class where uh, residents can sign up. And so that class, how long is that program? I think 14 weeks. Mm-hmm. And it met, it meets uh, once a week. At that point, we were doing it uh, in person. Sure. But now it's been, and, and local and p- other people would come in and lead the class. Mm-hmm. Now it's done through Zoom and it includes the whole state. So they can educate everybody at one time. I've heard that it just is a lot better. Well, I am a master gardener myself. I took that class because of the quilt garden project. You know, we're celebrating our 15th anniversary this year. And when we first started this project uh, a long time ago, one of the master gardeners said, you know, you really should take this class. And so I was surprised at how scientific 
and how much education is involved with the Master Gardener program. Would you say, Lynn, that that's one of your joys is that education and learning about new plants and plant types? Yes, it is. And I particularly have an interest in learning the, the scientific names. Oh, sure. Just uh, I don't, well, some I can remember very well. Sometimes I try to think of a plant and all I can think of is a scientific name. Well, such uh, as, which one is that? <laughs> well, um, the, well, Tanacetum uh -huh. is Nancy. And sometimes when I just try to recall them on the spur of the moment, they don't come. Sure. But, but the, my favorite name is Asclepius. Those wow. are the all, that's the whole, I mean, the whole um, milkweed. And, and what was the name for milkweed? It's Asclepius. <laughs> well, I, I don't know that. Yeah, that's kind of a fun name. That's kind of fun uh, to uh, share and enjoy. Now, the Cool Garden at the Fairgrounds that you and your team take care of is a partnership collaboration, isn't it? Yes, there are three of us, three groups, the Extension Office, the Fairgrounds Board, and the Master Gardeners. And the Master Gardeners are taking the lead. Um, but then there's also the, the home extension part. They assist and they show up when we do planting, and that's helpful. Well, very helpful. And uh, part of that reason, I'm sure, is because you're on public land. So you have different organizations that all operate out of that space. So are there challenges that you find uh, with your committee structure with all those different organizations? Or uh, The fairgrounds main role is supplying the space mm -hmm. and water. So they really do not come to meetings of our committee mm -hmm. uh, because they take care of that just as they need to. Sure. Um, and they, they get the water set so it comes on automatically. You have an and, irrigation system. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. And if it gets too wet, I can call them and they turn it off for a okay. few days. So the, we usually have a representative from the extension office and then the rest of the committee are master gardeners. Sure. Well, this year's pattern is quite beautiful and it's called Head, Heart, Hands and Health to uh, celebrate our 15th anniversary. Why don't you share with a little bit about how you came up with that name and your beautiful design, how you came up with deciding this one for this year? Well, we are actually repeating a design that was done earlier mm -hmm. uh, in 2014. And at that point, um, they, were, they were recognizing 4-H. So they had the 4-H symbol in the middle planted with grass. And I thought, well, I was in 4-H. So yeah. I know the 4-H pledge and I know that we, we picked Head, Heart, Hands, and Health. Sure. Well, as uh, some of our listeners may, may not be aware, our Quilt Garden project has certain standards. And for pattern selection, uh, sites can repeat after so many years. So that's one of the ones that you liked uh, several years ago. So that's nice that it was able to be brought back. That that's probably true. makes the process a little bit easier for you because did you just redo what they did in 2014 or have you learned some things along the way? We did a few uh, flower changes and also I was going by the original design, which mm -hmm. at that time I had forgotten that 80% of the garden has to be plants. Ah, yes, that's one of those other standards, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. And so we had too many paths uh, mm -hmm. in the garden. Actually, when we were ready to send it in, I think we had 540 square feet of plants and all the rest was paths. 
So we had to come up with a way to eliminate a lot of paths, but it was not a huge challenge because we could still reach the plants without all the extra paths that we had. Well, sure. Paths are important to get inside of a quilt garden because you can right. then provide maintenance, correct? Or if there's a right. problem, mm -hmm. is there a certain uh, a dimension or a preference that you have as a gardener? If you, you have to have access about the most you can have is four feet to reach. Yeah. And even four feet, you have to kind of put something on the ground and lean that, lean on that for support while sure. you do the weeding. So you don't want a lot of that. Well, and as a volunteer organization, how often and how frequent are you at your quilt garden checking out weeding and uh, doing all of that, checking the water? And uh, weekly. Weekly. Okay. Yes, weekly. Uh, and this this past summer. Mm -hmm. We had a very high maintenance garden uh, because we had a lot of marigolds and marigolds don't do very well if they're not deadheaded. Huh. So, <laughs> so you as a gardener knew that, but you still chose the plant. And yes, so right. that increased that maintenance. Yeah. So and I'm guessing this year's plants, uh, you changed that. You made it a little bit simpler. <laughs> yeah, we did make it simpler. And I, I don't know, we might do a complicated one again where, that requires a lot of work, but I think we needed a year's break. Sure. Um, so deadheading um, the marigolds last summer was, uh, I mean, we could do it every week. And when you came back, it looked like it hadn't been done. I mean, it sure. was just, it, it was like you couldn't get ahead of it because the garden was growing so well. Right. Well, for our listeners who may not be familiar, and I know you don't have marigolds, but how, what is the process of deadheading a marigold? Uh, just snapping off dead flower. So you just kind of pinch off the top? It actually snaps really well. It's kind of fun. Yeah. Four you don't five. have to do thousands of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, the other plant that you tend to always have at the fairgrounds is parsley. That requires some maintenance as well, doesn't it? And not very much. We, it, we do a little pruning that that's mainly pruning it to get it more bunchy. Well, and that's really the key with a quilt garden uh, design is keeping that mm. pattern. And so you mentioned pruning and deadheading. And so there's sometimes you have to what take scissors or, or different types of, of tools to keep that pattern intact. Uh, yes, sometimes they grow into the path. And so mm -hmm. you have to kind of prune them off. Mm -hmm. So you keep because the paths actually are part of the design. They're not just a way to get into the garden sure. because they, they create some uh, framing for mm -hmm. the different beds. You don't want them to get completely grown over. Well, I know, Len, uh, I remember some of the times you shared some unique stories and, and unique things that happen at your quilt garden. Uh, can you think of one example of, of some uh, surprise element that happened uh, at your space? Yes, the one that comes to mind immediately is the garden two years ago when we got it planted on, finally got it planted on Friday when we were getting close to the deadline of May 31st. Sure. And then got a huge hailstorm on Saturday night and completely destroyed the garden. And thanks to your help, we had new plants by the next Wednesday yes. and we replanted it. And uh, we still had a nice garden that summer. Yes, but it's, it takes time to plant a quilt garden one time, let alone twice, all in within a week, right? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, it was, I look back on it now, it's kind of a fun experience, really, sure. because it was so unexpected. And I think maybe we're the only quilt garden that ever got hailed out. 
Yes, completely in that way. Yes, uh, that was a first. And over 15 years, we've had certainly lots of different interesting tales, but that was certainly the first time where we had to basically start over. So that was kind of yeah. unique. Well, the Master Gardeners Association are so heavily involved, and there's another quilt garden that we'll be learning about later in our podcast that your association is involved in. So we certainly are appreciative of your organization. If people have an interest in learning more, maybe about taking those classes, learning about that education, and um, perhaps even helping deadhead a marigold or a trim, how would they go about finding out about? Uh, call the extension office, and the person you would talk to is Nancy, mm-hmm. and she would get you directed to the right place. Perfect. And we can always assist here uh, on our Quilt Gardens website and here at the Convention Visitor Bureau, too. Um, Well, we thank you for joining us, Lynn, and thank you for all of your hard work for bringing beauty to Elkhart County and to the 4-H Fairgrounds. Thank you. Joining me today is Jeff Zawatsky, the director of the Elkhart Environmental Center, and Annie Clayhoff, uh, the Environmental Programs Coordinator from the Environmental Center. Welcome, you two. Hi. Hello. We're so glad you're here. Um, it's wonderful to learn all about the Elkhart Environmental Center. Um, I'm so interested to understand your path and how you ca- became involved and interested in environmental practices and outdoor uh, control of landscapes. So Jeff, why don't we begin with you? Tell us a little bit about your journey and how you landed at the Elkhart Environmental Center. Um, I've always been an outdoor person. Um, Growing up with my grandparents uh, on Heaton Lake in the summer times, I just always knew I wanted to do something outdoors. Um, That's just kind of where I felt more comfortable and enjoyed it the more and through scouts and through uh, my my degrees, uh, marine biology and science. I took a turn down to Florida and, and just loved it down there and, and just being outdoors. And when I relocated back up here, I just kind of wanted to, to con- continue that. So um, this was the, the environmental starter was actually uh, formed after I left. So it um, wasn't available for me, unfortunately, as a, as a youth. So um, coming back here, it's nice to um, uh, be a part of that and hopefully get others to experience it. Oh, well, I would agree. It is exciting. And many people may not connect the biology and science of gardening and landscaping and outdoor growth. As you've mentioned with your degrees, I'm sure that's very important for your job. Oh, yeah. It's, um, I mean, it, it helps. I mean, I always consider myself a, a plant geek, mm-hmm. um, just kind of hanging out with my grandma um, in, in her garden and then my mom as well. Um, so it's just kind of, it's nice. It's nice to get out there and get your hands dirty and um, um, deal with the flowers. It's therapeutic in the soil, I think. Yes. <laughs> well, Annie, tell us a little bit about how you became an environmental programs coordinator. I didn't even know that job existed. So what's <laughs> your path here? Yeah, so um, like Jeff, I enjoyed being outside and um, I went to school for an environmental management at IU. And when I came back, I got a position with the forestry department and that's how I found out about the environmental center. And I started an internship here and it just kind of evolved into a full-time job where I'm doing the programs, events, and running the volunteer program. So, Sure. Well, volunteers are key, I'm sure. And we'll um, make sure and find out about that. Uh, Jeff, share with us a little bit about what is the Elkhart Environmental Center? Um, Annie mentioned with the city. So there is a connection with the city of Elkhart. Isn't that true? It, it is. The, the environmental center is kind of a, it's, it's a, that's a long story as well, but it's really a, a trash to treasure story. Mm-hmm. Um, the environmental center property is actually the old city dump, the Lusher Avenue dump that was um, back in the 1950s. And this was an open, uh, open trash pile. 
Wow. Um, and um, in the late, in the early 70s, the, the, the dump site was closed. And in the 80s and 90s, the, it was remediated. It's a clay capped uh, dump. So that the trash is still here. It's below us. It's, it's encapsulated in clay to keep the water out. So this is a trash a treasure, literally trash a treasure. It's, it's reclaimed. And uh, we have Mother Nature kind of reclaiming um, the site. And we're, we're trying to give her a hand as well are some of the plantings we're doing as far as the wildflowers and prairies. And then we have some forests, we have ponds, we're on the river. So it, it's about 60 acres, 20 if you want to count the River Greenway Trail that goes through us. So it's a nice um, uh, refuge to get away if you're in the, in the city. And um, not too many cities can say they have that nice chunk of green space in the city limits. So it, it's a really nice um, um, uh, piece of property for people to come out here to enjoy nature. Well, so residents and visitors can come free of charge to the Environmental Center, and then what would they do? Absolutely. It's, we're, we're open dust to dawn um, seven days a week, and we have lots of trails you can hike. We have a lot of dog walkers through here. The River Greenway Trail that, that goes along the river is a really nice path, and uh, we the city got a grant uh, last year, and that path is actually going to be paved um, this year, starting spring of this year, and it's going to be completed next year. But it's going to be a paved path really connecting downtown Elkhart River District mm -hmm. through American Park, Studebaker Park, through the Environmental Center, uh, connecting to the Maple Heart Trail that uh, will continue up to Oxbow Park, continue up to Pumpkin Vine Trail. So it's a nice paved path that um, you could ride your bike, you can hike through. Mm -hmm. And here, here at the center, we have lots of trails. We have some pollinator gardens. We have the quill garden that, that, mm -hmm. that happens. And um, so it's a nice for a vast different ecosystems that you can experience in, in one site out here. Sure. So that trail that's going to be paved, uh, how long for your portion of that would that, that would be miles, wouldn't it then, that would connect what, to the Maple Trail? Um, yeah, it's, th th there's an existing path there now, but it's not, it's, it's just kind of um, a natural path. So mm -hmm. the paving has started at Studebaker Park, and it's going to go along the river through there, I, I believe it's just under two miles of a paved path nice. through our side. It's probably a half a mile through uh -huh. our, our site, um, but it's going to be a nice addition, especially for those that, that have trouble walking on a natural path. Sure. A nice solid surface is really going to open it up to um, uh, people that just, that just can't walk that natural path. So it's a nice, smooth, smooth surface. Well, I've been there and I know you have a really nice parking area so people can park and then access that path to continue on their outdoor biking and hiking uh, journey on those trails. Right. And um, so it, it is an amazing, uh, re relaxing, peaceful environment. When you come through the environmental center, what type of effort does it take to take a dump and a trash pile? Uh, it, what type of a, a, an ecosystem are you, and is it evolving? Is it something that you're done or uh, how does that work? Yes, it's constantly evolving. Um, seems like when we let mother nature comes back, we have native plants and we have a lot of invasive plants. Mm -hmm. And fortunately the invasive plants are the quicker growers and they take over more space. So this has been a constant battle. We're really gonna be focusing hard on it this year as far as trying to control the invasives mm -hmm. while promoting and planting native plants to Indiana and, and North, North America. Grasses, wildflowers, um, and um, the amount of pollinator garden we're gonna be creating. We have in our parking lots, 
three years it's been established now is just spectacular mm -hmm. when you come out here in June and July. I agree. Um, it is beautiful. And then um, and enhance it with the cold garden, you know, it's a, just another another enhancement to it of, of different annuals that we're, we're planning um, out there as, as, as well. But it just takes a lot of, we have to have a plan and, and we don't want a lot of the invasives to go to seed. And, and it's just a matter of, of getting some goals and, and doing different chunks of property going, we're gonna plant natives here and we're gonna control the invasives here. Mm -hmm. And, and um, yeah, it's just a never ending balance. And then it's always a surprise with what the birds and mother nature likes to bring in. I mean, it's, it, this is a wild environment out here. So much as we like to say, we're gonna try to control it, you know, birds eating seeds from bad plants, um, they're going to be bringing them here. So it's, it's sure. never ended story. Well, sure. And I know uh, with the quilt gardens at times that we've had some struggles with that nature uh, and how that <laughs> evolves with plant selection and designs. Now, Annie, you have uh, done an exceptional job this year coming up with a design called Sunflower by Twilight. Now, this is uh, your own inspiration with you and your team there. Maybe share with our listeners a little bit about how you came up with this design, what your inspirations were uh, to bring it to life in a creative way in a garden. Yeah, um, well, we were actually very excited to make our own design this year because mm -hmm. we've been kind of going off of um, previous designs. So now that we've got a couple of years under our belt, we were looking forward to doing something more complicated and something that was more um, personal to the site. So we were trying to design from some of the natural flowers and stuff that pop up here and um, also the location of the garden since it's an east to west facing garden. Yes. Well, your design this year is, is very uh, extensive. I will give you kudos for that because <laughs> uh, I, it is very creative and perhaps challenging. So filled with vibrant, uh, rich colors. Uh, and your inspiration reflected uh, not only the uh, sunrise or sunset and, and share a little bit about how that came about. Yes, yeah, so the, um, the quilt garden has the sun rising behind it and then setting in front of it. So it's got a nice, nice view of the sunrise to sunset. So I think that was um, something we wanted to reflect in that as well. And it's also located very close to um, our rain gardens in the parking lot, which are just so vibrant in the middle of the summer. Um, so we wanted to also tie that in as well. Yes, um, Jeff, in, in the process of quilt gardens, as Annie mentioned, you folks have learned a little bit over the last several years about what makes a successful quilt garden and some things that you might not be doing this year that you did in the past. Um, can you share with us a few of your challenges and what you have done to change those this year? Well, from our last year's garden, I realized that uh, deer and dogs <laughs> like to explore the quilt garden more up and close than um, uh, people do. Yeah, well, like to... you're the only site that have deer um, going <laughs> to them. Now we have some other sites that have dogs, but deer uh, and dogs are quite a combination. <laughs> yeah, so they're, they're not eating the flowers, which is nice, but um, it, it is irrigated. And I think maybe it's a cooler spot, oh, especially sure. with all the plants when they get to full size. If I was a deer, I think that'd be a beautiful, comfortable bed. <laughs> so let's just lay down in it. Um, or we have a lot of dogs that like to go, go running through it. And uh -huh. when, you know, periodically we have to weed the garden. Yes. Um, when, when the plants are, are, are at a great height, they are, they provide a lot of cover for rabbits. Oh, sure. So as we're walking through there, the rabbits are just, I think, 
they're not eating the plants, but they're there for cover. Mm-hmm. We're, we're scaring like rabbits that are just kind of running out of there. So um, nature, Mother Nature definitely has a, um, it's, its sense of humor sometimes it out does. here. And um, we're, we're definitely experiencing that. And then again, with because this is nature and wild, we have lots of seeds that like to blow in. So mm-hmm. um, it, it's just kind of constant maintenance on there just to try to keep it up. Well, are there things that you will be applying or doing to help perhaps mitigate to keep deer out as more or um, how will you try to work on that? Or is it just an every day kind of scenario where you have to walk? Yeah, it's an it's an ever, ever, ever growing. And some of the plant choices that we selected, you know, they say it's deer resistant. Oh, sure. So Mm -hmm. so deer resistant far as eating. Mm -hmm. They didn't say anything about deer resistant as sleeping on it. So, um, we'll have it, to talk to the grower about that. Yeah, have yes. that list when we and, and I don't want to put thorns out there because it's going to be a pain to plant and weed through thorns. So yeah, no. Um, and we have a steady supply of deer through here, so it's it's really a a never ending battle, and you just got to go out there with a sense of humor sometimes, chasing. Sure. sure. Well, it sounds there. fun to uh, watch, maybe not to yeah. constantly maintain. <laughs> Um, Annie, you referenced that you coordinate volunteers, and I'm sure that there is a large uh, volunteer base that you need, not only for your quilt garden, but for your programs and your whole facility itself. How does one become a volunteer at the Environmental Center, and what type of requirements? I mean, do you have to be a green thumb to volunteer? Oh, that's a great question. Um, the easy answer is no, you don't have, there's no requirements for volunteering except that, you know, you just want to do whatever it is we're working on. So obviously the quilt garden is a volunteer opportunity that we definitely appreciate help. And if you have experience with gardening, that makes it a little bit easier, but it can also be a fun way to learn, um, especially since our garden's going to have such a different variety of plants this mm-hmm. year. Um, yeah. And we have lots of other fun opportunities. So we always have like events going on. We do our Earth Day event the last Saturday of April every year. We do our EnviroFest, which will be the third Saturday of August every year. And then we have a bunch of stuff that pops up in between like river cleanups and park cleanups and um, programs and events. So there's something for everybody and they can um, find out all that information either on our website or our Facebook page is a good place to find out what's going on. Oh, that's great. And what would be your website URL uh, on your Facebook so that people can uh, check it out and see where you're at and figure out what's coming up? Yeah. So our, um, our website is the same as the city's website. It's elkartindiana.org and then slash EEC. Mm-hmm. And um, then just search the Elkhart Environmental Center on Facebook and all of our events and stuff are really up to date on there. Well, Jeff, uh, as we conclude, um, if a visitor hasn't been to the Elkhart Environmental Center, what would be the one thing that you would like to share with them that they could expect or enjoy the most? I think it really depends on what season and mm. or really the, the day and the condition. Um our, our, our pollinator gardener is, is really spectacular. And I, I think our height for that is really July is when it really starts mm-hmm. to show good. But um, my first time out here after a nice spring, summer rainstorm, um, we have a lot of ponds out here. So the frogs come to life out here. Oh, fun. So if, you, if you can come out here in uh, a, just after a rainstorm, Mm-hmm. Um, nice, maybe a cool evening and just hear our little mini rainforest. Um, I mean, it is a symphony and they are loud. 
Um, so I, I, I think that, I think that if you got a bunch of kids are into to frogs and mm -hmm. turtles, um, bring them out here and, um, and, and just kind of experience it for yourself. Well, that sounds wonderful. I'm definitely going to have to take uh, my nieces and nephews uh, out and explore. They would love that. Um, thank you so much, Jeff and Annie, for sharing all about the Elkhart Environmental Center. We hope people have an opportunity to get out and see and enjoy your site. It's free of charge, and we're very thankful for all of your hard work. Hello, everyone. This is Sonia Nash with the Elkhart County CVB, and joining me today are some amazing women from the Michiana Master Gardeners. These ladies know all things about flora and fauna and soil and gardening, and they work so hard at the Bristol Quilt Garden located at the Elkhart County Historical Museum. So we've been having lots of fun chatting and sharing and reminiscing about quilt gardens over the years. Uh, the 2022 pattern is called a snowball in summer. Uh, Meg, uh, as chairman of this committee uh, at this location, perhaps share with our listeners how you went about picking this particular pattern at that site. Well, ours is a very much of a community effort. And so when we received the information from the Elkhart County Convention and Visitors Bureau, we, we of all the pattern options, we send it out to all of our people on our list. And we probably have about 15 people on our list. And maybe at the time, the date of the planning, there's eight to 10 people there. So we send it out. People comment that they like number five, seven, mm -hmm. nine, 20. Uh -huh. And then we see what the final count is. And mm -hmm. whoever, whichever pattern gets the most votes, that's the one that we choose. We also don't want to have too complicated of a pattern. And we also have some issues with our garden uh, in regards to soil and shade. Sure. Well, it is a very, there are very few quilt gardens that have shade connected uh, with a quilt garden side. And that does impact that flower and plant selection through the years. This, this garden came to life in 2011. And when it first started, Jenny, you were involved there uh, fairly close at the beginning. Uh, and you helped bring that uh, project to life at that venue. Uh, have you seen changes over the course of the years uh, by working on this committee? When the uh, quilt garden was first put there, um, it's on a raised bed at an angle, so it's easier to view and mm -hmm. uh, to see. But that raised some issues in that they had to bring in truckloads of dirt to fill the to fill the site, the, the actual structure. Sure. And um, that dirt was very, very heavy. And so over the years, we've added lots of amendments and compost and um, tried to keep it worked up uh, and the, uh, the staff at the museum have been really good about tilling the soil for us and getting it prepared. Uh, we do uh, soil testing from years to year to see what uh, extra things we need to do, whether we need to add things to uh, improve the alkaline nature of it or, or other kinds of issues. And what we've done the last two years at least is that as we've planted the each, each plant, as we dig the hole for that plant, we add a handful of worm castings oh. uh, to help improve the soil right and give it uh, the best chance it has to be the best flower it can be. So those are kinds of things that we've done to uh, make our flowers uh, produce the best. Sure. Well, Diana, you were in charge of the committee after Jenny, uh, and most people don't realize who may not be master gardeners or uh, involved in a formal garden such as this, you know, you just can't use topsoil when you plant flowers, right? Soil needs nutrients just like humans do, right? 
Absolutely, and we've done a lot of that, certainly, and Jenny indicated that we've done the word castings. Those have been dynamite. We started those, I think, the first year that I did it, mm-hmm. and um, it seems to have helped aerate the soil. Sure. So that helps. This, this, the shade is definitely an issue there, and it was a big issue this year with um, the flowers that we planted, and it's really funny because up until this year, I think that we chose our flowers basically based on how they were going to look as far as colors were concerned and an artistic sort of thing. So this year we had to do a little different plan well, there. Marianne, you were sharing that uh, that plant and pattern uh, selection process really was is a little different for this year because of the environment that Meg was mentioning, uh, the shade and the soil you've learned through the process. So even gardeners, even master gardeners can learn through the years, right? Definitely. Um, I thought it was interesting when we had picked the pattern um, and the colors, and then then we had to just go back and match what color would work and what flower would work with the shade and the other things that we had going on this year. So it was a little bit, we, didn't, we weren't able to just pick a pattern and pick colors this year. Like had this, this is only my third year, I think, with the quilt cartoon in Bristol. Um, but, but the one thing I did want to mention how much fun it is to work together to plant the garden and how much fun it is to get together then at the end of the season to, to pull the plants up and decide what we're going to do for the next year. One of the things I've enjoyed, we take turns weeding the garden and a lot of times when I'm there working, a visitor will stop in and then it's fun to, to talk with the visitors that stop in and look at the garden and they're always very impressed, which is fun. Well, I think that uh, is really the heart of this project, that community engagement, getting people involved locally, but welcoming, almost pulling out that welcome at. And Corinne, as a chairman of the reviewer group, you have a different level of participation, but you're also a master gardener and you're there planting and involved, but understand a little bit more about the bigger uh, picture of, of how all of the quilt gardens are together. Um, so tell us a little bit. I know you've told me you're there on planting day in Bristol uh, and all of those many hands make light work. Describe that for our listeners. Uh, Well, one of the major things that the committee does, and the committee is made up of six different individuals from six different cities Mm -hmm. uh, or townships. And we all go around every week or every two weeks to inspect. And that just means we inspect as to if the flowers are actually growing the way they should if the soil is to the standard that it should be, if watering is being done, if fertilizing is being done. One of the major things that uh, we recognized last year was that uh, we were invaded in Indiana by army worms. And that was uh, certainly a surprise to us that they never come up this far north. And the way that uh, we recognized that was when we dug up or pulled out some of the plants, the roots were gone and you would actually see the army worm within. Uh, The other thing that I would like to mention is when you do fertilizer, you're doing fertilizer all over the quilt garden, make sure that you do not use raw manure. Uh, We had a problem with that uh, a couple of years ago where lots and lots of weeds appeared. And that would mean that, uh, of course, all of us would have to do much more weeding and also eradicating. And we do not use um, anything uh, that is harmful to the plants. 
Sure. Well, Meg, uh, I know you apply uh, a fertilizer, you apply some soil amendments. What have you found is the best one? I, I've talked with different sites. Some people use mushroom compost, some people use rat, you know, different types of things. Do you have a favorite at the Bristol Quilt Garden uh, as far as a, a, a fertilizer or soil amendment? Well, uh, we have used worm castings as stated before uh, for the past few years. But I also did a pH test last summer and our pH is too high. So I went to the local garden store and bought some sulfur to add to the soil to reduce the pH so that we can be at a more six, seven level rather than where we, where we currently are. And I did that in the fall, I applied it in the fall and then I will do it again in the spring before we plant. So can anyone share with us, why does a pH level matter to gardening? And if, if I'm a home gardener, do I need to worry about that? And maybe that's why my flowers or petunias or tomatoes aren't growing? Yes, you do, because some plants grow and it's important to know what plant plants are pH that they grow in. And if, if you're trying to grow something in the wrong pH, then there's no way that the plant can take up the nutrients they need. So if you've got plants that are thriving, um, check, the, check the pH that they would thrive the best. I, this came home to me, I moved about five years ago and I love coral bells. Oh. And I could never get coral bells to grow where I lived before. And here they thrive. Where I lived before is a, I had, we had slightly acid soil, now we have slightly alkaline soil. And then coral bells, one of the few plants that thrive in, in uh, alkaline soil, most of them like to grow in just a sort of a pH that's fairly neutral, which is a good thing. Yeah, I, that, that, that was the first I really realized what a difference the pH made. Well, Jenny, you mentioned getting a soil test, uh, so and as, as Meg did as well. So how do you go about getting a soil test? Uh, do you just uh, go to your greenhouse or, or where, how could somebody uh, figure out what their pH is? Huh. If Meg just did that, I think she might be better suited to answer that. <laughs> uh, usually there's, there's an organization in every community or state or, or region that does this. Uh, I don't know if you, the, the one that we use here is called Great Lakes Laboratory. And they will send you a little bag and you fill up a bag until the point with the soil but you don't wanna take the top of the soil, you wanna go down deep about six inches and you would fill the bag up with the soil and then you wrap it up and you put it in the mail and you send it to them and you say, what would you like to, what are you going to plant in this area? Is it gonna be flowers? Is it gonna be mm -hmm. vegetables? Is it gonna be lawn? And then they will give you a report based on what you're going to plant there and then they will make suggestions as to if your pH is too high or too low, they'll make suggestions on what you should do to amend the soil. And around here, we have lots of wonderful garden shops mm -hmm. that you can take. I have taken for my own personal garden, as well as the quilt garden. And I know others have done for other gardens that master gardens gardeners are involved in. I take the foreman right into the shop and they say, okay, and they'll go and pick the product off the shelf and hand it to me. So it's, it's quite easy here in this community where we have those resources. 
Very good. So that's a great tip uh, for uh, everyone is if, if you, I get questions all the time, why isn't, uh, can you tell me why my geraniums aren't growing or this pot is doing better than this pot? And I think we've learned that some of that secret uh, is that soil. Everybody needs um, a good soil. So those army worms were quite interesting and different. Now, uh, you mentioned they normally don't come this far north, Kareen. Uh, is there something that you have to apply this fall or how do you make sure they don't come back to your home again? <laughs> well, number one, the reason that they came so far north was because of the wind and the hurricanes that we had down south. Oh, sure. So uh, they normally do not come past uh, anywhere south of Ohio. We were uh, inundated, or some of us at least were, and it showed up in the lawn. And what that happened was brown patches and you can just go out there and you can take a tuft out of the lawn and there are no roots to it. Um, the nice thing about it, if there is such a nice thing, is that we do get frost. Mm -hmm. And because we have frost and we dip down as low as we do in this part um, of the country, that um, they will not sustain the winter. So uh, we should not have that problem coming up. Anyway, fingers are crossed for that. There you go, fingers are crossed. Well, plant selection and color choice is extremely important along with the pattern selection. Um, and uh, for a quilt garden, not every flower will work because of the length of stay. Has anyone discovered or what, what is your favorite uh, flower uh, for a quilt garden, either for a maintenance reason or a color or a pattern? Um, we'll just kind of go round robin and see uh, if anybody has, has found uh, what their person uh, flower of choice in a quilt garden is. Uh, Diana, would you like to start? I personally like the begonias, even though they didn't do as well as we liked them to this year. Sure. And uh, begonias, uh, why, why begonias? Because they don't take much maintenance. I think that's the reason that I like them and they fill out really well. Sure. Sure. Um, uh, what about you, Marianne? Uh, now, Diana has said begonia. You can say begonia too if you want, but is there another one that you really like? <laughs> well, the begonias work well because they grow in shade. Um, they can also tolerate some sunshine. Mm -hmm. So it, that's really nice. Uh, alyssum, I think Meg mentioned alyssum earlier. It's the same thing. It, they don't take a lot of maintenance. And another issue we did have trouble with the alyssum because uh, we had to replant they didn't get watered the way they should have right before we put them in the ground. Um, but then, then they then they really thrived later on. So that was good. Um, yeah, I, we just got, the shade where we are really limits our choices of what we can grow and what we can't grow. Sure, sure. Um, so uh, Jenny, would you say that um, there is a plant of choice that you always would recommend to put in a shade garden? Well, I think that the, um, you know, the uh, ageratum, we've had good luck with that. Mm -hmm. And it has done, you know, our, our garden is almost fully in the sun at the southwest corner of the garden. It's almost totally in the shade at the northeast corner of the garden. And we found that uh, ageratum seems to work sort of all over. Um, and that, that's been nice because you don't want something that just, in our case, we don't need something that just works in the shade. It also has to be able to tolerate sun. And um, 
uh, as a part of our project this year, we're trying some Vinca. Uh, yes. And it's going to be interesting to see how that does. Um, one of the things that we've really paid attention to, uh, we try to choose a pattern that is simple enough, as Meg says, that it isn't too complicated to work with, but also then we try to pick plants that are of the same height yes. so that as the uh, garden develops, we don't lose the uh, definition of the pattern because the plants are tall in some places and short in others. By keeping them uniform, we try to keep that pattern looking really good all season. Oh, I would agree. And Corinne, you and I have both know that that pattern definition over four months, it is a science and it is an art and creative. Uh, very, very many details are into the process before plants go into the ground and before visitors arrive. Uh, can you describe a little bit about what that's like from your committee side? Well, one of the major things, um, as Jenny was just pointing out, um, when you select plants, uh, that are going to multiply two and three times in size, they may go over the borders. Ah. So uh, there is an issue uh, because everything has to be linear or round and uh, the shape has to remain. So when you're choosing flowers, you also have to think about that you may have to snip or otherwise even scissor some of these uh, locations. So that is an issue. The one thing that I was gonna bring up, um, when people love marigolds, mm -hmm. marigolds are wonderful. However, if you are going to plant them in a quilt garden, there's a lot of deadheading. So sure. that would be one that I would not suggest at all. <laughs> well, that's good. That's a good tip. And um, many people don't think about that uh, maintenance. Uh, when you're dealing with a quilt garden uh, for four months uh, with lots of different uh, upkeep and weather and maintenance, Meg, uh, as the chairman, uh, why don't you conclude and share with us and give us an overview? Your team is amazing. Uh, you have some excellent gardeners and people who are engaged in this process. Uh, maybe share a little bit about it, uh, your efforts to get everybody involved. How often are they involved? Are you looking for additional help? And how would they go about finding you if they would like to uh, join the group? Well, first of all, I want to say that this is a really fun endeavor. We've been talking about the mechanics, but we really enjoy going out the day of the planting and picking the pattern. And we have fun and we laugh. Now we're always out there. It seems no matter how many people we have, we're out there for four hours. Yeah. <laughs> 10 people, we could have 15 people. It always seems to take about four hours to plant. That's fast for that many flowers. <laughs> so you are tired, believe me, yes. and sore the next day for doing it. But we do have a good time. And we obviously enjoy sticking our fingers in the dirt. We're usually quite muddy and uh, filthy by the end of that day, but we really enjoy the experience. We obviously love flowers. We love being part of the quilt garden program. And Marianne mentioned working, weeding one day and visitors coming. And I know I was there one time and there was a woman stopping to look and I was talking to her and she was from Texas. Mm -hmm. So it really made me realize that people are coming from all over the U.S. and I have heard people say that there are people from other countries who are coming to see our quilt gardens and that's certainly something to be very proud of. 
Oh, I would agree. And you ladies uh, do an amazing job and the gentlemen that uh, are involved with the organization as well. Uh, we can't thank you enough. We encourage all of our listeners to stop in Bristol and meet one of these wonderful people in person. I'm sure they'll be there. They're there a lot to weed and deadhead and uh, see the beauty that's at the Elkhart County Historical Museum in Bristol, Indiana. And you'll enjoy the snowball in summer quilt garden as celebrating our 15th anniversary. Thanks for listening to this episode. We'll be spending the entire month of May kicking off the Quilt Garden's 15th anniversary celebration. Join us on the next episode and hear from the Quilt Garden volunteers at Southgate and the Elkhart County Courthouse. Learn more about Elkhart County, Indiana at visitelkhartcounty.com and plan your next adventure. Join us next time for more well-crafted stories about the people and places along the Heritage Trail.